So good to be with all of you today, and who's excited that it's Easter? Isn't it awesome? Wow, we get to celebrate something very, very special, and uh, this whole weekend's been really incredible. I want to welcome you here on behalf of our church. My name's Sandy Isfeld, and, and you know, this whole weekend has been special for us. We've been gathering together uh, on Good Friday and our youth on Friday night, and today here in the morning and in the afternoon, and we're just celebrating all that God wants us to celebrate today. And so I'm just going to invite you to come with me into something amazing here for a moment. Don't turn to anything. Uh, don't get distracted for the next minute and a half or so because I want to share with you what is the most monumental thing of all. And it comes right out of the last chapter of the book of Mark, chapter 16. Just receive this, okay? Here's what it says. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on their right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified, he has risen. That's the announcement. He has risen. He's alive. He's been seen by witnesses now. He's, he's showing himself that he's the one who conquered death, Jesus, our Savior. And this is the most vital truth of all that we can hold on to. It's what pulls together the entire Christian faith into this provocative, bold proclamation that the one that we are believing in went through death and was resurrected to life. That's why we can celebrate today. That's why we can believe this and walk into this and, and, and link our faith to it in ways that will be profound. And so if anyone is thinking that Jesus is just a footnote in human history, if anyone is thinking that he's just you know, someone who got buried in a Palestinian grave and his bones finally dissolved to ashes, they would be missing out on the entire thing because he rose to life. This is the cornerstone of our lives as believing people. This is what we put all of our hope in because our faith, it's not resting in an idea. It's not resting in a spiritual metaphor. It's not resting in a religious tradition. Our faith is resting on the reality of the resurrection. And it calls us to embrace this and to enter into this incredible hope that we have and experience something very profound in our lives. And so this morning as we get into uh, the scriptures, I just want to say to you, let the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus land upon your life in a new and fresh way because the resurrection of Jesus enables us all to rise. Now, I'm going to ask you to step into something here that really is a further unfolding of the resurrection story, and it's found in the New Testament book of Romans chapter 6. It's a deeper account of the impact of the, uh, of, the, of, of the way this changes our lives and how we can enter into it even today. So we're going to look at that passage, and then I'm going to ask you to open up your heart to the truths that are there. It's an incredible statement of what is ours because of the resurrection of Jesus. Romans chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible, the words will be up here on a screen. I want to read these for you beginning at verse number 4. Here's what it says. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead 
through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Then it says this, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Do you believe that? Whisper an amen if it's true. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus calls us to rise, and it changes our existence. It, it, it changes us in profound ways in the way we live and how we see ourselves and the direction that our lives are going. And it declares to us some profound truths. I want to share a few of them with you here this morning. Here's the first one. Because of the resurrection, we rise to a new life. It's not an old life. It's not a fixed-up life. It's not a life that just gets repaired a little bit. It's a new life that we are raised to. Now, I don't know if you guys have noticed this in the last 10 years or so, but hasn't there been an increase in uh, those, those uh, shows and those movies and those events where people dress up like dead people? Have you noticed that? I think they call them zombies. And uh, there's, you know, zombie apocalypse movies, and, uh, and there's people that get together in zombie-like clubs. I was in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, this is a while ago, and uh, I was there in the summertime meeting a friend, and we were in an outdoor patio, and apparently Edmonton has a lot of these people, and, and they let them loose down the street. There was about 150 of them stumbling, you know, with their makeup on and their gory faces coming down the street, and we were on a patio at a restaurant, and they came right up to our table, and one of them drank our water. I'm like, this is what happens when you go to Edmonton. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. Be prepared. Sorry if you're from Edmonton. And, 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 you know, it just, it's, it's sort of a fascinating thing, but it's kind of a weird thing, and, and it's kind of a cultural phenomenon. And I'm trying to understand, why is that happening in our culture? You know, why would people dress up like dead people and enjoy it? I'm, I'm trying to understand that. And, and I think it might be because over the last 20 or 30 years or so, there's just been this huge cultural shift in the Western world and a decrease and a shifting of what used to be the pillars of society, they're crumbling now. And so maybe knowingly or unknowingly, people are getting desperate. And the way they handle their desperation is to do kind of a juxtaposition, if you will, and to sort of contrast themselves with other things. So if you're not really happy with your life, pretend you're dead. And then everything you have is bonus. You know what I mean? It, it, it maybe that's the reason. And I see this sort of death culture increasing in our times, people embracing kind of a spirit of death. The reality is that people really are dead spiritually. The Bible paints a picture of that in the New Testament, teaches us very clearly that in the eyes of God, humanity without Christ is dead, spiritually dead. And unless something changes, they're headed for an eternal death. Think of your life as made up of three parts. You've got a body, and you've got a soul, and you've got a spirit. And it's true, people carry their bodies around. You have arms, you have legs, you can do stuff. 
Uh, you have feelings, you have emotions, you have a mind, you have will, that's your soul. And then you have a spirit. The biblical picture of people is, are you ready for it? That they are dead spiritually. Their spirits are dead towards God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. People are, quote, living. Yes, they're walking around, they're working, they're driving cars, they're, they're having families and all that. But in the eyes of God, they are spiritually dead without Christ. And without stepping into the truth of the resurrection, they're walking around like spiritual zombies. I'll put it to you this way. Think body, soul, spirit again. Think, think of you know, the body as the outward realm, the soul as your mind, emotions, and will. And then try to imagine that there's this inner chamber in your life, this little sort of territory inside of you where your spirit dwells. Now picture a light bulb there. And picture this, that the light bulb is switched off if you don't know Christ. There's no light there. There's no electricity flowing. You can still function. You still have to go to work. You still have to raise your family and all that. But in the eyes of God, you are spiritually dead. What happens when you, when you receive Christ is the Holy Spirit comes into that inner chamber and the light switch goes on. The brightness comes. That's called regeneration. That's called new life in Jesus Christ. The predicament of humanity is sobering. That so many people are dead in their transgressions and sins. But the resurrection of Jesus changes that for the person who believes in him. The resurrection of Jesus enables us to rise. In verse 4 it says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Not an old life, not an improved life. A new life that is only possible when Jesus Christ changes us from the inside out. And when you have that new life occurring in you, it means you have new desires and new impulses and new instincts. Suddenly you hear God's voice like never before. Suddenly you have new passions and desires and dreams that are waiting to be fulfilled. Suddenly you understand the way Jesus is at work in this world. Suddenly you pick up your Bible and you read it and you go, oh, I understand it. It really makes sense. Suddenly you become aware of God and his kingdom and his heavenly reality penetrating this realm on earth. I think so many people need this. So many people are desperate for this. But in, in not knowing about it, they try to repair their lives. They try to fix themselves up before God and, and, and try to make it better. God does a better work for us. He makes things new. Someone once said this regarding heaven and hell. I heard this a while ago. That when, when you think about, you know, where do you go when this life is over? Uh, they put it this way. There's only four kinds of people in eternity. Four kinds of people. Here they are. Number one, there's the person who thinks that they're going to go to heaven. And then they actually end up being in heaven after this life is over. That's the most ideal. They, 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 all their life, they're like, yep, I'm going to heaven. And then one day, they go there. That's person number one. Here's person number two. Here, this is the person who thinks that they're going to heaven. But at the end of this life, they're shocked to find out that they didn't get into heaven and they were sent to the other place, a place of darkness and separation from God. And then there's the third person. This is the person who thought they were destined for hell and they were right. At the end of time, when they stood before God, they were sent into the dark abyss and separated from God forever. They went to hell. They thought they'd be in hell and they ended up in hell. But there's one more person here. 
It's the person who didn't dare to think that they could be in heaven. Their faith was somewhat weak, but somehow they were hoping maybe, you know, maybe I could be there. But they end up not in hell, they end up in heaven. And, and it's just a, a weird combination of things that brings that to pass. They, they believed in Christ, but they didn't have assurance, or they believed in Christ, but they didn't go to a church and get built up, and they're like infantile Christians. Here's the thing. You can know today if you're going to be in heaven. Did you know that? You can know today that you will be there. You don't have to wonder about this. You don't have to run the risk of ending up in the wrong place. The resurrection of Jesus tells us that you can be in heaven by believing in him. He's the only way to get there. And when this life is over, we're all going to be somewhere, right? You can make choices about that here and now. And if you've received Christ into your life, then that deep assurance and peace will come into your life so that you can know for certain that you will be with God forever. Maybe some of us here today need to rise to a new life, a new life that Jesus offers us through his resurrection, because the resurrection of Jesus enables us to rise. And there's something else that we get to have as a result of the resurrection. It goes like this. We rise to a new identity. Now, are you guys aware of those things called the witness protection program? Yeah? You know, maybe you got exposed to some kind of crime or something like that, and the government wants to protect you. What do they do with you? They give you a new ID card. Uh, they give you a new place to live. It's always in Arizona. I checked. All, they're all there. All the witness protection, they're all in Arizona and Phoenix. Just go there, you'll find them. And, uh, and then they give you, uh, according to advertisement, a new SUV, right? And you get to you know, have this new life in Arizona because you're in the witness protection program. Well, it's not a bad new beginning for some people, except that, you know what, you can change your name, you can change where you live, you can change which church you go to, but guess what? You're still the same you. You're still fundamentally the same person before that change happened. But the resurrection of Jesus from the dead enables us to have a new identity. I want you to see a verse here again. It's verse number 6. It says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him. Isn't that profound? It says, we know. Can you say that out loud with me? We know that our old self was crucified with him. We know it. Let's personalize it. Let's talk about my old self. We know that my old self was crucified with him. You can turn to the person beside you and say, I've got a new ID. I just want you to know. Tell them that. I'm a new person. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Now, that old self in the original language comes from the word anthropos, and it means man, representing humanity. We know that our old humanity, our old man, our old woman has been crucified with him. A death has occurred on your behalf because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Your old sinful self, your old person before you knew Jesus, that previous you, that person that was opposed to God, resisted God, turned away from God, disbelieved in God, that person was put to death on the cross. This is true for you and becomes realized in your life only if you believe in Jesus Christ. 
And if you have, then you're no longer a sinner who's trying to act like a saint every now and then. This is really the dilemma in many churches these days, that people are trying to live like saints, but they've not been changed. They've not realized the effect of the death of their old life. And you can spend decades working at it, but it won't ever get much better. The reality is, you are right now in Jesus Christ as a believer. You are a saint. You are set apart for God. You are a new person in Him. You belong to the Father. You're a son or daughter of the King. You have a new identity. And you've been set free from the power and struggle of sin's control in your life. You have victory over it. You're not a victim to sin. You're a victor over it. The old you is gone. You have a new identity. And I think sometimes we just need fresh translations to help us with this. So I found this from a, from a version called The Passion. I want you, to, want you to see it with me here. Here's what it says. Same passage, Romans 6. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. For since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like his, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life that it imparts. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. I like that. I think that's helpful. See, God doesn't just put a Band-Aid on our souls and our bodies and our spirits saying, let me fix you up a little bit. He really has done a transformation of our lives through Jesus Christ. He put to death with Jesus your old sinful self. It's gone. But you might say, well, I'm a Christian and I still struggle with sin. Yeah, so do all of us. Well, how does that happen? Well, sin is still present in your flesh, in your physical body. And it can be activated if you allow it to, but you never need to. But it's not your identity. It's not who you are. It's just the residue of the fall and, and the ongoing effects of that. And one day, God will redeem even our bodies. And so if you're sinning as a believer, you're not sinning out of the identity of a sinful person pre-Christ. You're simply allowing the flesh to have rule over you. And Romans talks about that. Don't let the flesh have rule over your life. But you might say, well, I, there's things that I do that God is not pleased with and I can't stop myself from doing them. Well, you need help. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. He gives you a new power to resist temptation. You don't ever need to give in to temptation. But if you're trying to fight it on your own, it's going to be a, a really hard battle. Maybe you've been building a life of faith that's resting on a fault line and you're your, your belief system is shaky and about to crumble. You know, I like Dennis Johnson. I like The Rock. You know that guy, that, that movie actor? I, I like him. I just, I wish I looked like him. I try to look like him. We're not quite the same build, as you can tell, right? I, I like him. And there's this one movie I remember about San Francisco and the earthquake. I don't know what it's called, but, you know, the whole city gets, gets destroyed because there's tidal waves and Buildings are crashing and falling and all of that. And he's, of course, rescuing everybody as he always does. And um, uh, it just reminded me about, you know, living on a shaky place. When you're located on, on ground that is, that is ready to shift on you, 
anything bad can happen to you. I think the same is true for our lives as we think about our faith and what we believe. If we're not anchored on the solid ground of Jesus Christ, if we're not anchored into his, his reality of his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, if we don't access the poured out Holy Spirit into our lives, we are sitting on an earthquake. And it may crumble one day. It probably will. God says in his word, you can have new life through the resurrection. And he also says in his word, you have a new identity as a being. You have been changed. You no longer have an old life, it's gone. Paul put it this way in Galatians. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life that I live now in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That makes sense. But we've got to declare that over ourselves. When you look in the mirror in the morning, just before you shave or pull out your blackheads, I want you to look in that mirror and say to that person over there, if you're a believer, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this life that I'm living right now, I live through him. It's a new me. It's like some people can't get there, though. They think they're carrying around an old, sinful nature. This happened to me when I was in my 20s. I had some ineffective discipleship happen to me. Anybody else go through that? Ineffective discipleship. The people that discipled me, who were not much further along than I was, they told me, you've got two natures. You have a sinful nature, and you have a Godward nature. And you just got to you know, manage that war your whole life. And I tried. For years I tried. One day I would do really well, and I would walk in what I thought was the God nature, and, and I would do godly things, and I would think loving thoughts of people, and the next day I'm like down. I'm tripped. I'm stumbling. I'm in sin's territory. And I thought, oh, I let that old nature loose, and I have this old man. And then one day a guy came up to me, an old guy, and he met me, and he said, I want to do a Bible study with you. And he showed me in Romans 6. He said, you don't have an old man. And I go, well, I feel like I do. He said, it's a lie. And I repented of the lies that I was believing. I had a dream around that time. I was, I was reading a book by Watchman Nee. You know this old Chinese pastor called Watchman Nee who's you know, dead for quite a while now? I read his book called The Normal Christian Life. He went through the same teaching. And he said, no, you reckon yourself to be dead to the old life. You count it done. And you live out of your new identity. I had a dream that filled my life around that time. And in that dream, I, I saw Jesus hanging on the cross. And I heard this whisper in the dream, go up to the cross and look in his face. I thought, okay. So I went up to the cross and I looked into the face of Jesus being crucified and I saw in his face my face. And that verse came to my mind, my old man has been crucified in him. The body of sin has been done away with. I am no longer a slave to sin. This is the identity that we've got to lay hold of. This is the new you that you need to enter into and embrace. And as a believer, this is your rightful inheritance. And if there's a group of people in a church like ours or churches in our city or region that my heart goes out to, I would say it's a group of people that I sense are just not able to lay hold of this. Let me talk to you about them for a while because I think there's even some of them here this morning. There are people in churches like ours who are regular, devoted church attendees. They actually have a Bible. They read it every now and then. They've been baptized, but they live what we call a nominal faith. 
Nominal means in name only. And, and they, they want to love the Lord and they're trying their best. And, and for some of them, they were raised in a Christian home. Often the case is that they were raised in a Christian home that's three or four generations in its faith. And they're generation number three or generation number four. And here's what happens to some of them, not all of them. Some of them have inherited a flawed belief system. Some of them were given the example by moms and dads or grandmas and grandpas of an ineffective discipleship. Some of them were shown a pathway that was less than the whole thing. And so they were not able to enter into real life in Jesus Christ. They, 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 they struggled as they looked at their parents and they realized, my parents don't depend on the Holy Spirit at all. My parents don't have answers to prayer that are miraculous at all. And on and on it goes. And what happens is these people now, they're third, fourth generation people. They're, they're called Christians. And here they are in churches like ours. And they have not taken in the authentic thing. They're nominals. My heart goes out to them. It used to be 20 years ago that we called nominals people that went to liberal churches. Guess what? They're in evangelical churches now. Nominals. People that believe, but there's no experience of God. People that have a confession of faith, but there's no transformed reality. People that say they want to follow Jesus, but that identity, it just doesn't seem like it's real to them. And no matter how hard they try, with their bold, heroic efforts to not sin, they find themselves struggling, asking the question, who am I really? Maybe you know someone in this category. It's not limited to only people from three to four generations. And by the way, it can be a blessing to come from a family of three to four generations of faith. It ought to be a blessing. And for many people, there is a blessing that is passed on to the next generation. And we thank God for that. But for some people, particularly in our type of tribe, there are nominal believers that have been raised in Christian homes and they're here in our churches every Sunday. You remember the code of ethics that was given to you. Don't wear lipstick. Harlots wear lipstick. That's what some of our women were told in those decades. Don't drink alcohol. And don't read that passage on Jesus changing water into wine. Don't dance for goodness sake. If you dance, when Jesus comes back, he won't find you. People were told that. Don't miss church. Don't show weakness in any area of your life. Don't enjoy sex and marriage. That's not what that's for. Don't let anyone know how much you secretly hate your life. Wow. Nominalism. It has crept into even churches like ours. It used to be easily identified in the broader culture. Now it has come in a more sophisticated form. But God calls us to a new identity. God has provided for us a brand new beginning and a new start. The Bible says we are a new creation in Christ. Amen? A new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. It's not that it might come. It has come. And we also know this. God has no grandchildren. Check it out in the Bible. He has sons and daughters. That's it. No grandkids. All sons and daughters. In other words, every generation must lay hold of the powerful reality of Jesus Christ and his resurrection for themselves. Do you need a new identity? In a few moments, you can lay hold of that today, and God will change your heart. One more thing, and briefly, the resurrection of Jesus enables us to rise to a new destiny, to a new destiny, to a new purpose in life. 
Shakespeare said this, and every now and then we should check him out. He said, it is not in the stars to hold your destiny, but in ourselves. William Jennings Bryan put it another way. Destiny is no matter of chance. It is a matter of choice. It is not a thing to be waited for. It is a thing to be achieved. And I really think that God is waiting for us, waiting upon all of his children to step into the destiny that they were created to fulfill and to release it through their lives. God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you to make a difference in this world. He created you to achieve something that no one else can achieve, something that his kingdom wants to do through you. And it's good and it's fulfilling and it gives great purpose to your life. The resurrection of Jesus makes that possible. Look at verse 8. If we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. That's not just talking about eternity. It's talking about right now. That we can live with Christ in this realm. That we can be releasing the kingdom of his heaven on earth as we walk with him. Later on, it says in verse 22 in this chapter, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. By the way, eternal life in the scriptures always starts now. It's not just one day you get to go to heaven, but it starts now. Eternal life means that you know him now. It means that you step into that purpose for which he's called you, and you begin to fulfill it. We've got to rise in him in order for that to happen. Is there anything holding you back from that? Is there anything that's preventing you from from walking into your destiny that God has for you, into into the call of God upon your life to serve him in this lifetime? There's another verse that pulls us in this direction. It's from Ephesians 5, 14. It says this, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Three steps there. Wake up, rise from the dead, and receive the shining glory of God upon you. But isn't it true, friends, that sometimes life is hard, and sometimes people end up getting beaten down, their dreams are shattered, circumstances seem to prevent them from moving forward with their their purpose, How many of us have ever gone through an experience of hardship that was so dark, so deep, so devastating that it almost wrecked our ability to believe God for one more good thing? Does that land on any of our hearts? Some of you maybe are more desperate for God this Easter than you were one year ago. And as you look at that last year of your life, you're going, I am losing ground. I am living on the fault line. Everything's going to start to crumble unless there's a change in me. Maybe it's the death of a dream. Maybe it's the end of a season in your life, or maybe it's a moment of loss. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a struggle that you have in your body, an illness. Perhaps it's an emotional trauma that you've gone through. I don't think we're alone in those experiences. I think many of us have them, and we must persevere through them with the help and the presence of God. I think the disciples of Jesus, the followers of Jesus, could totally relate to that. Remember this, they saw Jesus crucified. Dead on that cross. They saw his body being taken down and placed into the tomb. And no doubt they felt at that moment, there goes the movement. Our destinies are shattered. Our faith has collapsed like broken glass into a million pieces. Those people who went to the tomb to anoint his body, 
they were not expecting to see Jesus alive. They were not expecting to hear that. But as they stepped in, they heard some good news. But as they were going to the tomb, no doubt they felt that their faith had utterly failed them. That the beliefs that they had were not going to endure for the next few days. Everything at the cross that they saw seemed to tell them it's over. Everything is lost. Have you ever felt like that? All is lost for you. Your journey is one of emptiness and confusion and chaos and pain and disappointment and letdowns. But I got to tell you something. The stone was rolled away from the tomb. The body of Jesus was not there. And someone in white clothes, no doubt an angel, said, he has risen. He has risen. He's no longer dead. He's alive now. And through his resurrection, those early disciples were absolutely transformed in their lives. Their faith rose to a whole new level, and they saw the Lord, and they went out, and they changed their world. Friends, it's time to rise. It's time to rise with a faith that says a wholehearted yes to the call of God upon our lives, to live for him and to live through him and, and, and with him to make a difference in this world. And I just got to say this, friends, there's so many people here in this church that have embraced this message, have stepped into their destiny, have laid hold of their identity, and God is using them in powerful ways. There are breakthroughs happening every single week around here. There are signs happening in our midst that tell us only God can do that, and God has done it. There are people being filled up with the presence of God in deep and in powerful ways. God is using people in amazing ways. He's using them to touch lives, to see broken, broken marriages restored and, and people made whole and people delivered and set free. There are entrepreneurs in the kingdom here in this church that are stepping out in faith and they are making a difference in their world. They're not crushed by any turn of events in, in our circumstances. They just get more bold. People are stepping into their destinies right here. And God is authenticating them with his favor and his power and his presence. So it's time to rise. It's time to rise up. It's time to wake up. It's time to get up. It's time to stand up. It's time to stay up. It's time to live up. It's time to give up all the futile thinking of a background of nominalism. It's time to give up on trying to do it our own way it's time to rise it's time to be a people who fulfill their destiny who live out their identity and nothing is going to keep us from that amen nothing can keep us from that as we follow Jesus because by his resurrection we are a people who rise I want to lead you in a prayer time here I'm going to ask you to just bow your heart with me on this Easter Sunday morning. Take a moment to focus on the one who gave his life for you. Would you bow your heart with me? I just want to remind you that Jesus went through it all for you. The cross, the suffering, his death. He has fully met your need of a healed life and a changed life. He's made a way through his resurrection for you to have a new beginning, to encounter him, 
to have your faith strengthened. And in a moment, as we draw near to him, I'm going to ask you to do your own personal response to him today. Friends, I, I just want you to know, I believe that much is at stake here. Much is at stake. And how we respond to God in the next few minutes will probably be the most important thing that we do for the rest of our lives. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. We're going to pray about getting a new life. We're going to pray about laying hold of our new identity. And we're going to pray about our destiny. And if while I'm praying, you resonate with what we've prayed and you've been praying it to God as a moment of decision in your heart, I want you to stand as a way of honoring the Lord and saying, God, I'm marking this moment today. This is true. This is true for me. And I'm taking my step of faith. He wants you to rise. Let's pray together. For the person who needs new life, just cry out to God for it right now. Say, Jesus, I need this. I don't need a fixed up life. I don't need a repaired life. I need a brand new one. And I turn to you. I turn away from my way of doing it. I surrender to you. I ask you to come into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Lift the burden of sin out of my life and change my heart. I commit myself to you right now, Lord. I'm asking for new life, a new beginning for me right now. Go ahead and stand up if you've prayed that and meant that. Keep standing. Stay with us. We're going to have others stand here in a moment. Awesome. Say, Lord, I want that new life. I need that new life. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I receive that new life right now. And I honor you, Jesus, for touching me right now. I yield myself to you completely. Stay standing, friends. This next prayer is for others. Lord, I want to lay hold of my identity in a fresh and powerful way. I've missed out on the fullness of this revelation, but today I'm counting on it and, and I'm embracing it. My old life is gone. My new life has begun. I'm a new person. And so I'm going to declare that by standing up right now. Would you stand up? God, my identity is changed. It's new. It's from you. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. Just go ahead and stand. One more moment here. Some of you are ready to step into your destiny in a whole new way. You have a purpose for your life that God has called you to. You're starting to see it. You're getting excited about it. You want to devote all of your focus to it. Stand up right now. The purpose that he's called you to, the destiny. Say, Lord, I'm marking this moment right now, this morning. Say yes to the call of God upon my life. Serve his kingdom anywhere it takes me to be bold. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for meeting us today. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing. Sing with all of our hearts. Lord, thank you for new beginnings. Thank you that through you, we really do rise. Newness of life happens. Identities are formed and changed. Destinies are being fulfilled. We proclaim this in Jesus' name. Let's sing together.